0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. There's nothing quite so upsetting, demoralizing, and just disappointing than the phrase, because I said so. Whether you're a three-year-old at the table wondering why you have to finish the vegetables on your plate, or you're wondering why you have to stay extra hours to go to a mandated company training, because I said so, it's the last thing you want to hear. Of course, your, your boss, your job probably doesn't say because I said so. They'll say something like, well, it's company policy. Well, it's mandatory that everybody go to this HR training or whatever. They might as well be saying, because we said so. That's why you have to do it. There's something so unsatisfying about hearing someone say, because I said so. And quite frankly, you reach a point in your life, in, in your age maybe, maybe it's a function of growing up, where because I said so is not going to cut it anymore for you, right? You reach an age where you're not just going to take people's word for it anymore, Now, it's true that we live in an age of increasing skepticism. uh, Societal institutions, as we uh, progress further and further, are being more questioned. People have less faith in their government, in the churches, in schools. They want more rationale. They want more evidence. They want more reasoning behind the things that they're hearing. It's a function of our age, but also it's human nature, isn't it? You want to know that there are good reasons that you can trust behind what someone is telling you to do, what someone is telling you to believe. Because trust is hard won these days, isn't it? Whether you are a Christian in Ephesus in the first century, or someone living in America in 2023, it's difficult to know who to trust. It's difficult to know your place in this universe. And that's something that the Ephesians were struggling with. That's something that you and I, let's face it, are struggling with every day. So Paul's words are just as meaningful, just as powerful, just as impactful for them in Ephesus as they are for us. Because he gives us not only why we can trust God, but how, God, how far God has gone to win our trust. How far God has gone to win us. Paul writes this letter to a a church group in Ephesus where they were very sincere Christians. They were well-grounded in their faith. They were just in a troubling society. At that time, Christianity was not a widely recognized religion yet. And so if you were a Christian, that meant that you stood out. It meant that you were weird. And Christianity was one of the first religions to transcend people groups. There were people of all sorts of backgrounds coming into this church, Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians, and sometimes they had a bit of a disagreement. But the other thing about life in Ephesus, which was in modern-day Turkey now, was there was a very strong culture of believing and talking about spirits. The spirit beings were all around you, you would you would try to worship the right gods, to protect yourself from the spirit beings, but there was this big narrative that at any moment you could be face to face with powers that were beyond your control, were beyond your power to deal with, to do anything about. And honestly, not much has changed, right? Christianity has much bigger numbers now in our day and age, but don't you still sometimes feel for your faith like you are in the minority? The way people talk about you, the way people talk about your Lord, the way that people talk about your God, and and how foolish you must be for believing in someone like him. Of course, you don't hear a whole lot about spirits as you go to school and as you go to work and as you live your life. Not a lot of people in your life, I'd be willing to bet, are talking about spirit beings who might be surrounding you at any moment, but you hear a lot about forces beyond our control. Just open up social media and what do you see? Warnings against narcissists. Signs that you might have ADHD. Five quick things to keep in mind because you might be depressed. And things that you can do to try to mitigate those things. Now I know, I'm not trying to belittle mental health issues, but isn't the dominant narrative There are forces at work in this world that are beyond your control, that are more powerful than you. Just turn on your favorite news station, your news station of choice, and the news stories you will hear and see are, wow, isn't the world so terrible? Isn't tragedy happening all around us? And there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's the message we are getting. That's the message Ephesians, the Ephesians were getting. So how meaningful, how powerful it is to hear what Paul says. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Were you disappointed? Do you think the Ephesians would be disappointed? This is how Paul starts out his letter. As you sit down at a public gathering in Ephesus, as, a, as someone unravels the scroll of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, you have all these things on your mind. You feel so insignificant because of the powers at work in your life, whether they're physical powers or the spiritual powers everyone's talking about. You want some practical stuff to do, to think about, a next step to take Paul. But he goes way above that. He doesn't give you anything you can do. In fact, track it through the whole lesson this morning. What are you supposed to do? He doesn't say a word about what we can do. He goes right to praising God. He wants to sing a hymn of praise to God. And to us, it might seem a little tone deaf. But think about it. We are so prone to focus on the physical, on whatever is right before us. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking about work tomorrow. You're thinking about the very concrete things you're going to have to do. You're thinking about a conversation that you're going to have to have that you probably don't want to. You're thinking about responsibilities. You're thinking about what happened last week and how you can recover from that. Maybe you want specific help from Paul on that, and maybe it feels disappointing that he just goes right for the gold. He says, I'm going to praise God right now, but think about it. We're so focused on the physical, on the temporal, on the right now. Paul wants to focus us on the spiritual, on the very realm of things that our society teaches us to ignore, teaches us to, to never mention. Don't talk about spirits, don't talk about a different world that you can't see or understand. Paul says, no, look at that world. Think about that realm. Think about the spiritual, because you have been blessed by God in every spiritual way. There's nothing else you possibly need spiritually. Your cup runneth over. As Psalm 23 says, the Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. You shall not want Now I sense, if you're anything like me, I would sense that you might have an objection to that. Because this spiritual reality does not match our physical experience. The forces at work in this world beyond our control make us feel insignificant, make us feel like we're in the minority. The sins that we're struggling with on a daily basis make us feel sad and guilty but you're saying, Paul, that we are blessed in every way? How can I trust this? Why, how do I know this? Why, Paul? Unravel the why. Give me the evidence. Why did God choose to bless you in this way? Well, you could go with what a lot of people have concluded. It must be because God is investing in you. Every time we make a big decision, right, no matter what it is, move to a new city, marry somebody, change schools, pursue a, a certain job, there's always a degree of the unknown, isn't there? No matter what decision you make, there's a little bit that you won't be able to tell. There's like a little bit of, well, let's see how this goes. Is that God and you? Did he say up in heaven before the creation of the world, My Jew Paul says, did he look through the telescope of eternity, and see that you were going to be alive, and see that you might be able to do some good stuff. So what if I invest in that person? Did God say that? What if I put my blessing and my love into that person? Did God see how good of a parent you were going to be? Or how hardworking of a student you were going to be? Or how good of a friend you were going to be? Or how much money you would donate to church? How many church services you would go to? How much of an impact you would have on our community? Is that why God blessed you? You don't have to do too much thinking to realize that's not going to work. That can't be the why. Because if God could look through the telescope of eternity and see all of the good stuff that you were going to do, that means, guess what? He saw all of your sin before one of them was even committed, before you even existed. God knew every single way that you were going to fail those things that you try to put so far in your past that you try to forget about, those things that you are trying to run from, that you are trying to outdo by doing more good to try to bury the bad in your past, God already knew them full well. He has full knowledge of every one of your sins, of how you were going to rebel against him, of how slow you were going to be to believe in him and trust in him, how you were going to constantly question if what he said was good that you were going to constantly hold out trust in him until you could understand him as if that were possible. God knew that all from the start, brothers and sisters, so it cannot be because of something in us that made God choose us. That just can't be true. So why? I was reading one commentator on this, lesson from Ephesians, and he says that that there's a word in here that sometimes we pass by really quickly, that we do well to pause. Every time you hear this word describing God, you should pause and think about what it means, and that word is Father. Paul says that God is the Lord, he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but through Jesus, God has become our Father. Now I recognize that father is a complicated concept, is a complicated word for many people in our world today because there are lots of bad fathers out there. But even a mediocre father, what will they do? They will love their children. It's part of their biology. It's part of a father's DNA. We have a moral responsibility, us fathers, to love our kids. And this is true of mothers too, but we're zeroing in on that word father. And so even an okay dad who's just trying his best, but not the best dad in the world, even he will love his children even when it hurts. I'm not just talking about when the two-year-old breaks the dad's favorite coffee mug or when the 16-year-old backs the car out and gets it all scratched up. I'm talking about those moments when it really hurts. And the reason that it hurts is because the dad loves his kid. When the kid is saying, I hate you. The Dad says, "Well, I love you. The Dad has no choice, but here's what's so amazing about God calling himself our Father is he has a choice. He has no moral responsibility to love us. He does not have to whatsoever. He is not bound to love us he He can do whatever he wants, and so if he wanted to." He could have looked through that telescope of eternity and he could have seen how much sin you were going to commit against him, all the shameful things you were going to do. He, was, he could have seen that you would bring nothing to the table to make his life any better if he invested in you. But he made the choice. He chose you. He chose to love you and call himself your father. He loves you even when you hurt your relationship with him. That was his decision. And he didn't make it because of you. He made it because of him, because of who he is. Here's how he proved it. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Brothers and sisters, where is your place in this lesson? Your place in this lesson is just to receive. Paul is not giving you anything you have to do. You are just a recipient of God's love and grace because he has adopted you. I'm not personally familiar with the adoption process, but I know some people who are, and they describe it as a very long, expensive, and potentially heartbreaking process. Because you can be denied. Even after all those proceedings, all those hearings, even after spending all this money, you could be denied the right to adopt. So knowing that ahead of time, why would anyone do it? If you know how hard it is to adopt a child, why would you go through it? Families who go through the process, they know what it's going to entail, but they consider it worth it. In order to love and to serve and to raise that child as one of their own, they consider the end worth it. How much more, then, did God show his love for us when he saw your sin, saw your rebellion, and knew what it was going to take to forgive you. Blood would have to be shed. He knew that he would have to give up his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay your ransom price. He knew that you were shackled to the powers beyond your control of sin, death, and the devil himself. He knew he was going to have to break those shackles by sacrificing his son, Jesus. But it was hardly a decision for him. So easily did he decide to be your savior. Jesus went to that cross knowing full well exactly how painful it was going to be. Why? Because of you. Because you were worth it. Loving you and buying you, paying your ransom price, adopting you, was a worthwhile goal to him. That's how much he loves you. And this has nothing to do with you earning or deserving it. And here is why that's important. If God's love for you depended on how good you were going to be, then it would be up to you to stay good. If God chose you and loved you and forgave you because you were going to serve him so well, then what about those moments where you're not serving him so well? You would have to worry, does God still love me? But because God's choice and his love and his forgiveness are wrapped up with who he is, and he is unchanging, That means his love for you is unchanging. That means no matter how far you have fallen, God's love for you remains constant because it depends on him, not you. That means that no matter what happens tomorrow morning or the rest of your week, you know God's love is constant for you. It was made reality in Jesus Christ. Why does God love you? Because he says so. Paul concludes with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Why do people say because I said so? It's because they're done they're done talking, they're done giving rationale, they don't want to have to explain anymore, they want you to just take their word for it and go. That's not God. God has revealed to you the mysteries, Paul says, of his will. The mystery of his undeserved and unconditional love for you that will remain a constant throughout the rest of your life. God is not hiding things from you, God wants you to know who you are in Christ. God wants you to know where you're headed because of Christ. God wants you to know that you're safe, that you're good, that you are significant, that no matter what, what messages the world sends to you about you and your faith, that you end up in heaven with Christ, that you matter to God. And so don't fall to the temptation, brothers and sisters, To just see this as a spiritual thing that has nothing to do with your life. To say, okay, this is where I'm headed for eternity, but what about heading to work or school tomorrow? What about that conversation I have to have later that's going to be tough? What about how I recover from what I went through last week? Don't you see this has everything to do with it? Because the next step you take, the first thing that you do as you leave those doors after worship today you do as a blood-bought, redeemed child of Christ, connected to and unified with the love of God through what Christ has done, and that love goes with you wherever you go. And no matter what someone says to you after you mess up at work, or what somebody says who's just being mean at school or at work or under your own roof, it does not change the promises God has made to you. It does not change the realities God God has made reality through Jesus Christ. Let God be true, as Paul says in another place, and everyone else a liar. Stick with God's promises. And if you look for any other reason, say, God, how do I know? How do I know that you still love me? How do I know that you're still there for me? How do I know that you're with me? How do I know you're going to fulfill those promises you made to me? Accept God's answer, because I said so. Amen.